Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, Matt Reeves gets the final say. Remenda creates a giant generator. Superman gets reborn. And Moon Knight faces birth and death. Stay tuned for all this and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. What was that? Oh, I was moving my mic close for me. Hey, everyone, oh, this I, is Nick. I thought you were doing a Darth Vader thing there for a moment. Oh, was that? Is that what it sounded like? It sounded a little bit like, yeah. But no, see, like, I, I also... I also want to take this time to not just uh, welcome people to the Heck Yeah Comics podcast, because this is important, but I want to welcome people to a new era of humanity, and that is the era of humanity in which Suicide Squad is an Academy Award-winning film. You're not, you're not even padding this right now. You're just going right into it. Oh, no, 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 because this is, this is like a significant change in the paradigm, uh, because obviously what we're saying here is that the DCEU has one more Oscar than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In over 13... Oh, man, is that actually the case? That's actually the case. In <laughs> over 13 movies, uh, Marvel has not snagged an Oscar for visual effects, for sound editing, sound mixing, uh, and DCEU gets three films out, nabs an Oscar. This is the world <laughs> we live in. <laughs> Which is fine coming from a guy that I can see is currently wearing a Captain America shirt. That's true. I am. I don't discriminate. I I, I love on all sides. I just think that we need to all uh, change our habits as human beings. Now, when we when we re, when we have our daily conversations about Suicide Squad, uh, we need to not just say Suicide Squad. We need to make sure we are calling it Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. See, I've been failing this entire time not calling it Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad, which it is. I don't care that it's a... Do you find... What? Do you find that maybe you have less friends now? That, that, is, that this is like a thing that you bring up daily? That like, I bring your up relationship constantly. with your wife okay? Oh, no, no, no. Everything is on the rocks. I am at risk of losing my job. I'm pretty <laughs> sure uh, most of my friends will never speak to me again. Um, I'm not allowed to return to my improv group because all of my scenes are just me going up being like, guys, guys, Suicide Squad won an Oscar. And uh, yeah, it's not not doing great for me there, but I just I don't want people to forget. You're the Michael Scarn of the award winning Suicide Squad. Squad. Scad. Scad. Suicide I mean, Scad. Suicide Scad. Is that the, the Bostonian version? Scad, yeah. We're going to. It's a suicide. Scott. What are we saying? Anyway. Sort of suicide scad? Suicide scad. But um yeah, to uh I mean it's, it's I mean to be frank, the not frank, I, the the well it won for makeup, right? Like the makeup mm-hmm. and the, the, the character design, you know, they were able to accomplish in that movie was pretty spectacular, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. It was tough because I was watching the Oscars and sometimes it's like you look at the different like things that are being nominated, and it's almost like 
how do you actually choose? Because sometimes it's not just like, you know, you know, okay, like Suicide Squad had a freaking Crocodile Man and El Diablo and and Harley Quinn and Joker and all that. Like they were all really well done, but it's like, is it because like it was so wonky uh, uh, or Gonzo or whatever and like just out of the norm versus like say uh, La La Land, which I haven't technically seen yet, but like based on like the clips I saw that they were highlighting the the makeup design. Like, I mean, the makeup the movie looked phenomenal, but there was no Crocodile people. Was was La La Land? I don't think La La Land was nominated for makeup. It, uh, it was no, it was um, uh, Suicide Squad, um, Star Trek Beyond, which some people say was absolutely robbed, uh, which I think they're wrong because Academy Award winning Suicide Squad should have won that award. Uh, and then the other one was uh, another film that I hadn't seen, but it seemed like it was old person makeup, and that the films like that get nominated quite a bit uh i want to remind people that click the the adam sandler film click was nominated for uh makeup for putting him in a fat suit and uh, i think benjamin button was nominated and maybe won i do not remember nor do i care and I'm, I'm. To those of you who are still listening at this point in the podcast i want to salute you <laughs> you are in it for the long haul. We will reward you by now moving on to the news. Let me just find that clip, and here we go. Our top story today. After a disappointing <laughs> summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. All right, so our first news story. You probably have heard by now that Matt Reeves, uh, who was in talks to direct the Batman after Ben Affleck stepped down, has now officially stepped onto that film as director. And another piece of news to keep this, you know, interesting, is that according to a report, part of those negotiations is that Matt Reeves has the final say on anything involving the film. So he has complete creative control. Interesting. That, that's, like, that's an actual official report, not just a rumor? Uh... Well, so it is It is reportedly, uh, so, you know, take that for what you will, but I, you know, I, I believe that. I know that's one thing that has kind of been a struggle. Uh, you know, the negotiations fell apart at one point. We don't know why. We don't know what has brought them back around. But, uh, I mean, I don't see, you know, I, I think I don't see anything to say why that would be a false statement. Okay. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting, you know, uh, obviously he's got the, I mean, he's the director. So in a certain respect, he should have the final say it's kind of a, I mean, obviously he's also beholden to the the studio, uh, but it's also interesting just with um, Ben Affleck, you know, he's a writer, director, actor, like, and a producer, um, you know, and I think, I I mean, obviously he wanted to step down because he didn't want to take on the additional job of directing it, but uh, I feel like he's, you know, would not necessarily want to give up certain creative control, but maybe they will gel and work really well together. Who knows? Or maybe mm-hmm. there'll be a blowout and he'll walk away and halfway through filming and the movie will never come out and the DC Universe will fall apart with their one Academy Award. Uh, no, nope, all gonna, remains to be seen. Going to continue. But as far as him as a choice of the director, what do you more. what do you think? Uh, so Matt Reeves is known for 
Cloverfield and the last Planet of the Apes movie, and uh, while it's not out at this time, the upcoming Planet of the Apes movie, uh, and I can't say, you know, the the new upcoming uh, Planet of the Apes, I can't say that I like because I haven't seen it yet, but from Cloverfield and uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I really enjoyed both of those. And mm-hmm. he is a capable director. Um, you, you know, we haven't seen him do a superhero flick or something with, with as much tight action as a Batman movie would have. Uh, but then again, the guy that directed Ant-Man had directed romantic comedies up until that point. So I can't really judge him based John upon Favreau that. John Favreau had directed Elf. John Favreau had, di- did, uh, had directed Elf. This is true. Uh so I think based on what we've seen, though, of his work, he does seem to be good at capturing um, capturing the, the correct sort of tone in an action mm-hmm. film that I think would, would benefit a Batman movie. Yeah, I mean, going on the eight movies, which are typically dark and gritty, and, and Cloverfield, which is dark and gritty, I think he can at least handle dark and gritty. Um, dark and gritty. Yeah, no, it's dark and gritty. Um. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And also, Batman-related news: a Nightwing film is on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, who say it was directed by Adam McKay? Did I read that right? Uh, Chris McKay. Chris McKay. Sorry. Who is the director of the Lego Batman movie? Which is obviously doing gangbusters right now. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, so that's and, interesting. Well, what do you think about that? Well, and also just add on here, uh, Bill. Uh, Dubuque, I'm I probably pronounced that super wrong. The guy who wrote The Accountant is writing the script, which apparently is just Batman, but uh, with autism and guns, is my understanding. Anyway, about a Nightwing film, that is interesting. I don't, I ha- I don't think I've fully formed a thought on it yet, and I want to kind of discuss briefly here in a minute who we think you know could take on the role uh but nick you're you're more versed in in nightwing and in all that what are your thoughts on this well thanks for associating me with a topic that i'm not well versed in i thought, I thought you i mean i thought you I mean, were up on the up on the I what i mean i've i've read nightwing comics okay i thought you were a nightwing i i'm sorry i misspoke in that no, no, respect that's not to say i'm not a nightwing fan but i'm not like a nightwing fan you okay. know i i appreciate his his place in history uh i just find like i haven't like quite found like a nightwing book that's like i uh, except maybe bits of grace and where i was like i gotta read this book like his character the character alone doesn't always draw me into his world mm-hmm. but his place in Batman and comic book history, the fact that, you know, he went from Robin to his own identity. It's interesting. There's a lot to unpack there in the film. Now I think they could do it in a simple way also because we're established that if he's taking place in the Ben Affleck Batman world, that this is a Batman that has already been around for a while that, that Dick Grayson could go from Robin to Nightwing in that time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we can basically get a Robin, but not a Robin. Um, right, in the sense that at least we acknowledge that a Robin existed in this universe, but well, we, we already, already on to Nightwing. We already know that a Robin has existed in this universe. We have yeah. seen a Robin outfit in this yeah. universe. Uh, Which honestly, like, I get it. Not a lot of people, not everyone liked Batman v Superman, but I part of me wants to see the like the, them try to pull off Robin. Like, this is you know for whatever the faults. Like, it's established that this is a universe where Batman had presumably a young adult as a robin 
I think, you know what I mean? Right. Which in the comic books, we kind of turn a blind eye. But obviously, when you see it in live action, it can create it creates sort of a different paradigm, so to speak. Yeah. So I, it would be fun to see a Batman and Robin movie. If they ever do, like, you know, maybe after this Batman movie, the next one will be a new Batman and Robin, but it'll be Tim Drake. And maybe right. they'll do, like, a, you know, they'll do the Red Hood down the line. Because, I mean, they're in a position where they could do Red Hood. Right. You well, know, they've well, established that Robin is dead, most likely Jason Todd. Nightwing's active, and then Tim Drake comes along at the same time that they could do Tim Drake and Red Hood in the same movie. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it, with within the current setup of superheroes, I'm talking about in comic books, Batman is one of the few who still consistently has a sidekick. Like mm-hmm. it, it feels like mostly superheroes have moved past that trend, and even like teenage versions of superheroes typically aren't associated as sidekicks. They form their own identity and kind of run off and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Batman still has a Robin, and yes, uh, Damien still operates fairly independently, but he is still Robin. Uh, now, one thing, though, is the question is, how would they differentiate a Nightwing film from a Batman film. You don't want it to basically be, well, Batman, but in Bloodhaven instead of Gotham. You know, there, mm. would, there would have to be something there to differentiate it. Well, I mean, I'm assuming... Uh, Dick Grayson, obviously, like, as, as Robin, he is supposed to be the light to Batman's darkness. And so, personality-wise, Nightwing isn't going to be Batman. He's probably going to be closer to, like, a wisecracking Spider-Man, if anything. You know, maybe not as wisecracking as Spider-Man, but he's certainly a guy that doesn't necessarily have a chip on his shoulder. He's he's weathered trauma, but he's still sort of, like, a, a regular sociable person. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going to be cracking skulls and stuff, but he's not going to be, like, super dark and broody about it. I'm sure he'll have, like, a moment of doubt in the film, but overall, it's like, it could be, they could, you know, whereas Batman's like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, like a, he's a darkness in a dark world, but he's like a heroic darkness. Nightwing could be reframed as like the light in a dark world. Like he's not, he's not, he's not being swallowed by the darkness uh-huh. in that way. I would, I would be interested to see this film as a secret Teen Titans film launch point. You know, have this be your first Avenger for a, a Teen Titans film where it's a, uh, you kind of have some cameos from maybe some other members of the Teen Titans and just kind of building up of like, that's something, or even if this is like a post uh, Titans, Tim or uh, Dick Grayson, and you know, you have those characters show up, I think would be, well, I guess, because uh, I guess superheroes are fairly recent, so that it would have to be pre Teen Titans or even just Titans in general. But yeah, I think. There's the potential I mean, it to do that. Depends on for like what type one that they probably would if especially if we want to start with Nightwing. It probably wouldn't. Be, I mean, not Nightwing did start in Teen Titans, but uh-huh. I feel like they would do more like just just Titans, right? At, and yeah. obviously, I mean, we know Batman exists in this world. Not to say that other potential superheroes could have also existed. All they're saying well, is that Superman is the first major scale alien invasion to happen on the planet. Uh, they make it. They make it seem like yeah, he's not the first superhero, but he's the first one out in the open. Yeah. First, well, Bat. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Bat like Batman. I don't think was like an. Ur- I, I mean, he was an urban legend. He's not an urban legend. There's enough that he existed. And obviously, right. Suicide but, Squad also establishes other masked individuals and weird individuals. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying like I don't think that they. I, I think within the realm of the DCEU, it was established that there is not 
costumed heroes running around the city. Yeah, it's certainly and, not and, a mock. Right. Uh, well, now here's here's a big question: Who plays Nightwing? Mm, wasn't like Adam Driver almost like attached to the role at one oh, point? God, I don't no. know if I would. I don't know if I take Adam Driver as it, but no, because you would need someone at this point. You need someone in their like mid twenties, right, in order to kind of fit into the timeline. And I'm True. looking, I'm looking at this list here of actors they want to do it. Uh, they say Kit Harrington. No, <laughs> Kit Harrington has one face. And it's not a good face. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is too old. Uh, I think Justin Gordon Levitt also is probably a little bit too old. And you can't really cross the streams there. Uh, if there's any that I think actually really uh, stand out, I think uh, this guy Dylan O'Brien, who I've seen in a, a couple of TV shows and a couple of films. Um, and uh, Stephen Yun or Stephen Yun, that's how you pronounce it. I just saw that. I, I don't really honestly have a problem with it. Why not? Right. It would be kind of awesome to have Stephen Yun as Nightwing. Yeah, but how, I mean, he's he's not in his twenties, is he? I don't know how old he is, but man, you're about to tell me because you're doing he's some googling. He's thirty-three years old. Is he? Well, shoot, but. I don't really care that much. I mean, and I, someone put uh, Zac Efron in a Nightwing costume. Oh God, no! Um, yeah, I guess, I guess you know my argument of uh, um, what's his name looks too old. Joseph Gordon Levitt looks too old. Is kind of a little invalid there because I think he's about the same age. Uh, but at the same time, he was already had his little thing. That will just I, I that'll confuse people real bad. If suddenly he was in two separate Batman universes, people would be like, mm-hmm. wait, they're, they're the same, but they're not the same? What? This is a... This is an interesting list. I'm sorry. Dev Patel. Nope. Who is a fantastic actor, by the way, but uh, Adam Driver's on this list, so he's, he's been best around. John Boyega. Meh. Andrew Garfield. I actually had a thought of Andrew Garfield. Yeah, it's like okay, so if we're talking like obviously if they want to go outside of how he was how he's portraying the comic books, like sure, there's no reason why Steven Yuen and John Boyega um couldn't do it. The first guy. Uh oh Def Patel. Who? Def Patel. Def Patel, like <laughs> sure, put him in there. Um but when it comes to like the more traditional AK White Nightwing, um you know, Andrew R. Garfield could, I don't know. The thing about Nightwing, though, is he's he's very, he's like a dreamboat type guy. Like, he's, he really is kind of like beefcake. Like, the way that he's, oh, yeah. he's the kind of guy that, like, the kind of people they would cast on the CW. No, he's all about that ass, guys. Like, he's that's, all about that ass. that's Nightwing's main feature. <laughs> According to Midnighter and yep. the girls at the, uh, preparatory school for and everyone assassins. everyone ever uh, spiral uh but yeah yeah well this article just reminded me that um joseph gordon levitt is no longer involved in the uh the sandman film and i am horribly depressed so we're gonna move on now to our next story which is a head scratcher uh earlier this week Marvel's editor-in-chief, Axel Alonso, tweeted out an image of what appears to be a Hulk 
slash Wolverine hybrid in a tube. Uh, a tube labeled Batch H. Uh, it, it has two scientists standing around it, and it's a giant Hulk figure in green lights and liquid. Uh, and extending from its hand are Wolverine claws. And the face is, of course, obscured. I I don't even know where to begin with this madness. I'm so I don't know if you so they actually announced that the Old Man Logan series is continuing, surprisingly not relaunched, continuing with I think it said issue twenty five, um, with Ed Brisson and I'm forgetting who the artist is. Yeah, but I saw that too. It's, I can't it's going to feature um, Old Man Logan fighting the Maestro Hulk. Yes, uh, which is the future evil alternate Hulk. So I'm wondering if that image is going to tie into that new creative team. Uh, I don't know because because this angers me in ways like this is just something because right now Wolverine uh, or the the current world's Wolverine and um and what's his butt Bruce Banner both air quotes dead at this time. However, uh, the body of Banner was last seen being handed to Captain America, who, you know, is currently a Hydra sleeper agent, and Wolverine's body is still in possession of the X-Men as far as we know. What I'm trying to say is I didn't think Marvel could surprise me anymore, and yet here we are. Yep, it'll be very interesting how that goes. I also, I think, uh, what is it by? I haven't caught up on Uncanny Avengers because I know in Uncanny Avengers oh, they were no fighting idea. the the hand had um, the hand had taken Bruce Hulk's body. body. Yeah, so yeah. maybe I guess they did give him the cap. Yeah, and cap um, on the hand of it, hold of it, <laughs> hand of it. <laughs> so, and so the, in other news, well, I was, I was going to no. say real quick because the face is obscured. That seems important. You think they're trying to hide the um, the the trademark sideburns, or is this supposed to be a "Hey, this is somebody you haven't seen before," or like it's not who you think it is situation? I mean, I definitely don't think it's Amadeus Cho, so <laughs> I'm assuming not. it's someone that we haven't seen before, who's both Hulk and Wolverine. Uh, Hulk. I don't know. That, 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 this book could go in so many places, many of them wrong, but most it of, could also most end of them very wrong. very right. But. And our final bit of news, uh, not to say that there isn't tons of news always coming, but we can only cover it all. Uh, one of my favorite go-to writers, Rick Remender, is init- initiating, creating, has established his own imprint through Image called Giant Generator. Um, he specifically, um, I mean, he created it in part so that like him and his his fellow creators, uh, his like his his artist artist partnerships, you know. One, you know, they they share the work 50-50 because it, his books are becoming increasingly popular. It's leading to merchandise. It's leading to TV and, and movie deals. It's kind of like he apparently he, he decided that he had to come up with a label name because someone had maybe jokingly said, oh, it's like you're starting to create the Remender verse. And he said, yeah, I'm not going in that direction. Millar so, World. Like Mil- Millar World, yeah. Um, so he came up with Giant Generator. Um, not 100% sure why he settled with that one, but I love me some Remender books. 
So good for him. This guy's like, you know, consistently on the up and up. He just puts out, you know, consistently solid creative work. I know you're not always a fan of everything he does, but I think yeah. clearly his books are resonating on a, you know, a more macro scale. Yeah, Remender and I have a hit or miss relationship. I definitely have stuff of his that I've enjoyed, and I'm open to trying out his stuff. Mm-hmm. You, never, but, you haven't read any of Seven to Eternity yet, right? I have not. No, I, that's, that's one. That's one that, for nine ninety nine. That, that's one that I really want to get into. Um, but like Deadly Class, I just had such a hard time with, and I tried to enjoy remember, it. How, how far did you get into that book? Uh, several. Like I don't remember the exact number I got to, but I think I was in the early teens with that early book teens. when I decided. You know I'm good. Nah. Um, I, but... It's definitely not. It's it's definitely a dark book, uh, and he definitely re- uh, revels probably the wrong word, but he definitely puts his characters through some pretty dark places to get them to the other side. Yeah, it was just it was all over the place. Uh, I still haven't read Low either. I'm trying to think outside of these. Uh, Love Low. You didn't like Tokyo Ghost. That was Remender, wasn't it? I yeah, Tokyo Ghost. Murphy. Tokyo Ghost had so much potential, and I feel like it didn't stick the landing. And there were times where it was not subtle in like, and, I, and not saying that everything has to be subtle, but I felt like it was not subtle in a bad way. It it was too in your face at times that it's like, okay, I, I get it, I get what you're get what you're doing there. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've heard like Fear Agent is really good. Love Fear Agent, yeah, so people. good, so good. People were and I think one, that. one thing that's interesting in the article, uh, the interview with him, was he actually, they actually had, because I think the original idea was Tokyo Ghost was going to last a lot longer. Right. And then whatever the situation was that, you know, they, they decided to truncate it to 10 issues. So I think, like, you had the first arc set up really well. And, again, to me, the second arc wasn't bad, but it did feel like, you know, not every story has to go on and on and on and on, but it did feel like maybe they were truncating a lot of ideas so that the story had some sort of, you know, resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently they had a creative team in place to continue with issue 11. But then, you know, he ultimately decided like, oh, maybe I'm a control freak, but we ultimately <laughs> just decided to let the book rest and, you know, maybe it will change in the future, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, looking over this list of stuff he's written, I realize maybe I haven't read as much as I, I have. Maybe just the stuff that the little that I've read has just not super resonated with me and that I got to, I got to branch out a bit. I feel like I read maybe a little bit of his Uncanny X-Force. Weren't you a fan of that? Um, a huge fan. I mean, it was my, was it my main introduction to Remender? I don't remember if I, I already think... like had like just discovered, or maybe like when I heard Uncanny, Avenger, Uncanny X-Force was coming out, I looked up his other stuff. So I, I don't remember if Uncanny X-Force came first, and then I read Fear Agent. One of those books was my first entry into him. It probably was Uncanny X-Force. But uh, Uncanny X-Force, especially the first, like, 18 issues, is phenomenal. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I read the first chapter of The Apocalypse Solution. And mm-hmm. I was I was a fan of what I read there. That's a book that I've always been wanting to get back into. Maybe if I can figure out how to navigate Marvel Unlimited, I'll finally give it a chance to read. But I don't have enough goats to sacrifice to please the Marvel Unlimited uh, navigation system. It's it, not that hard. It's pretty bad. It's not the greatest, but it's certainly not like impassable, Im- impossible. Right? Don't yeah. No. If if you have enough goats to sacrifice to feed the dark, dark gods that are their servers, then <laughs> you can do whatever you want on there. 
I suppose. But um, yeah, no, so, I mean, that's that's good for Remender and company, and I wish them all the luck. David, any final thoughts on news that newses? Uh, I mean, we're not, you know, we're not going to talk about it in depth, but Guardians of the Galaxy had a new trailer that, if you haven't watched it yet, I actually kind of want to encourage people not to watch it. Uh, I didn't feel like it added, I mean, I do want to see the movie. This did not increase my excitement by any significant amount, but I also felt like the very last scene, uh, which I'm not going to talk about here in detail, but do you know what I'm talking about? Where, like, that person steps out of the spaceship and says the thing? I haven't watched the trailer. I'm avoiding it. Okay, well, cool. That, that's fine, because there's a moment where somebody steps out of a spaceship and says the thing, and I'm like, I would have enjoyed that moment way more in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of like, I, I typically watch like the first trailers now for things, but I've been getting better about just avoiding them. I feel like you first know, trailer's like, okay, you know? First trailers, sometimes they give away too much. Sometimes it's like, okay, I, I, I think I just ruined a couple of cool scenes, but I typically feel like when I actually get to the theater and watch it, you know, it's I like having the more fresh experience no, and I'm, not being bombarded by all, all the stuff. I'm at the point now with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 where I'm going to start avoiding because it's mm-hmm. Marvel. They're going to start turning out 1,800 TV spots. You'll be this, able to piece the whole movie together with just the spots. Yeah, this is this was a, the first one was very popular. This movie is very highly anticipated. They're going to be just whipping it uh, to produce marketing material. Like they'll they'll get a, they'll get to a point where you will be in the theater and you'll be like, that's the one second of the movie I haven't seen yet. Cool. <laughs> Obviously, being a little facetious, or am I? Why don't we go ahead and jump right into some reviews. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Well, some books came out this week, and we're going to talk about them. Nick, well, you're not going to talk about a comic. You're going to talk about a country. Why don't you tell us about America? Oh, number one. America. America is... Never mind. America number one came out by Gabby Rivera and uh, Joe Quinones. Uh, Gabby Rivera, you might not know, she's primarily done, I believe, exclusively like young adult prose novels. Um, but so this is actually her first foray into comic books. Joe Quinones, however, uh, has been around the comic block for a while. He just had wrapped up his tenure on Howard the Duck, which was a fantastic series. Uh, I've been also following him for a while, and I'm a big fan of his artwork. So. I'll just get kind of into it. The book basically is about Miss America Chavez. She's the, I guess, the legacy character of the you know World War II era Miss America character, though I think that's basically, other than a name share, like that's their only connection. Um, when she first debuted in Vengeance, like she, I mean, besides being kind of like a little bit stoic, a little bit detached, you know, very mature and serious, um, I think they just kind of established her as being strong. I don't remember if she could fly in that, that miniseries. It's been quite a while. Then when uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey took on Young Avengers and brought her onto that team, they added in things like her history where she's the, you know, she's the daughter of two moms from a place called the Utopian Parallel. Uh, her moms are dead. She has the ability to create portals in the shape of stars that can trans, um, transport across dimensions. Um, and again, she can fly and she's super strong. So she's, she's pretty OP, but you know, that there are plenty of characters that are OP, so that's not really a big deal. Um, and, uh, apparently, um, being the leader of the ultimates is enough or apparently, I don't know if this is self-described or not. I may have missed this in one, some issue off that I hadn't read about her. She's also the paramedic of the multiverse. 
Um, she's decided that she needs to become better, faster, stronger, and smarter, and has enrolled in college, but not just any college. It's a college that throws schools like Xavier Institute and the Avengers Academy to shame. It is Sotomayor University. Yes, it is named after the Supreme Court Judge Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, um, oh, that, that reminds me real quick. I know we're not going to talk about it, but in Batman lately, there have been so many name checks there was like Nolan Avenue and the Morrison wing and just like all these name checks of people who have worked on Batman recently. Anyway, go ahead. Which is, is they've to do that. There's always like finger crossing or, or Kane street or whatever. It happens, it happens those are guys that, the those have actually worked on right. Batman related material. Sonja Sotomayor, as far as I can tell, I'm, you know, I don't follow Supreme court judges as much as maybe I should. I, you know, she's a very important person in our country and in the world, um, you know, and her, her body of work speaks for itself. Now, to granted, the school, Sotomayor University does play take place, I guess, I don't think it takes place in the Nexus Point, but it's a school that apparently people from across the multiverse that can go to. So maybe it will be explained why it's called Sotomayor University. Like, you know, again, big person in the real world has next to zero association when it comes to the superhero world. So other than being both a prominent, you know, I guess, political legal type figure and also a prominent, you know, female role model, so to speak, you know, that's, that's one that right now is the only reason I can think of why the university is named that. Cause she certainly has nothing to do with transdimensional colleges. Um, but it's not really the biggest problem with the book or not necessarily a problem at all. Just, the biggest problem with the book is that it throws a lot at you and explains nothing. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's okay to be dropped into a book. And but it's, but it's a very hard thing to do and do well. And this book, in my opinion, does not do it well. Now, the good is that Joe Canonis' art is fantastic, except for this one panel where she forgot to put, or he forgot to put America's nose on her face. It was just weirdly like, oh, God, where did her nose go? Um, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? But with... Um, oh, and also with Joe Canonis, the you know the, the the art design as far as like the fashion, the characters are real. Obviously, it's very hip and modern in a certain way. Um, you know, I like the fact that America had multiple outfits. You know, both like you know, the the superhero outfit she wore. She had a really cool one that I think was very much a throwback to the original Miss America. Um, you know, in the opening pages, and she gets a little bit more of her traditional look later on in the issue. Um, just, you know, she's a very visually striking character, and that's one of the things I really like about her, and this book has that in spades. But the writing, I'm sorry, you know, Gabby Rivera, I just, it really didn't work for me. And I say that in a weird way, because, like, when I first read the issue, it was, you know, it was poppy and fun. Like, there's a part of me that was getting into it, but upon, like, reflection and kind of, like, flipping through the pages again and rereading certain sections... I realized that like a lot of it was out of character and I didn't necessarily, I guess I understood why she would make it that particular creative decision, but it also made it out of character for especially America, but other characters as well. And there are just things about the plot that were rushed by so quickly that when I did go back and kind of reflect on them was like, why? You know, one, I've always had a problem with like the, okay, you know, I need to go to college to better myself. Like, Regular normal people go to college. Not to say that superheroes can't go to college, or that there can be a college for superheroes. But it's always just—it's just a weird. Like I feel like Raven from Teen Titans is a weird uh, non sequitur. I guess no, it's not necessarily non sequitur. I'm getting off off game, but 
it's like every time I feel like I've seen a Raven miniseries, it's like Raven's going to school. Or Superboy needs to go to school to learn how to be a regular person. Or Supergirl needs to go to school to learn how to be a regular person. It's like, these guys aren't regular people. Like, it's just like... And it's almost never done effectively or it lasts for like a couple of arcs and then the book gets canceled and they get reimagined for something else. I'm not saying that it's not it's not potentially worth exploring. This book doesn't make necessarily make me excited for this approach to the character. Um, although just because she's a character that I don't necessarily think needs to. It's almost like she's questioning the fact that and she's young, obviously. She, I think she's probably around 19, you know, and so the book does capture a bit of a youthful exuberance. But I also think given her experiences, not every 19-year-old has to, like, question themselves, you know, and be insecure and feel like they're not good enough when she's freaking, you know, creating cross-dimensional portals, you know, and have, like, the craziest upbringing ever. It's just, it's weird. And as far as her character goes, I mentioned earlier that she's a more mature, reserved character, you know, doesn't doesn't speak out a lot. And they actually uh, mentioned that briefly in the book. But then she acts the complete opposite. She's very like self-congratulatory. She's very poppy, um, not not in your face in like a like a bad way, just like a very exuberant way. And it just felt very out of character for America. Like she was kind of being more used as a tool to make various points and not like being necessarily true to her character. Um, you know, but I don't know. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, and like I said before, the, the pacing of the issue didn't really help. It just went when like, okay, she's fighting this thing here with the Ultimates, and now she's like sleeping with slash breaking up with her girlfriend, and then she's like going off to college, and then she's teleporting through time. It was just a lot for a first issue. Now, I'm not always a big fan of decompression, but this book almost had too much. And then some of the decisions I just thought were weird. This was a big one. I think two major ones that I'll bring up, and then I'll kind of start winding it down. One... Um, she she's friends with Kate Bishop that was established in the Young Avengers book, so that's cool. America has the ability to travel travel across dimensions, which also means that she can travel anywhere in the world, basically instantaneously. Kate Bishop is currently in California. There's a scene where they meet up somewhere in the middle of the country for Kate to say bye to her. She goes off to college. Kate's driving a car. America's also weirdly driving a van, even though she can just teleport out everything everywhere. So why she needed a van, why she needed to drive that van to the campus, I have no idea. Again, not explained. It just seemed kind of like, a, we're going to put that in there. But the fact that she made, uh, not that she made, but the fact that Kate Bishop drove halfway across the country to meet her for five seconds and then has to drive all the way back to California when her supposed friend could just teleport her back. You know, maybe she did and just like her car was driving off into a star off panel, but it just was a really weird scene for that to be. Now, I don't want to get like too deep into this because everyone's going to maybe have a different perspective, but there was one scene in the beginning. So they're fighting this being that's, you know, being that's shooting beams <laughs> of a being shooting beams, um, you know, of light and stuff everywhere. And Captain Marvel deduces that, you know, um, that the scans the scans show that this villain is like a being of pure white energy. What the difference is between like white energy versus other energies, I have no idea. But America's response is pure white energy, huh? Well, pure white just means the absence of color. So let me give her a little of this brown fist. Needlessly and un or unnecessarily racial and also very aggressive. Um it just it was it was really out out of out of, out of place. Um, I mean, I kind of get what she was going with it, but it 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 did rub me the wrong way. 
Um, I mean, I don't think something like that should be as fine on either side of the aisle, whether you're white doing something or brown or brown. It doesn't matter. Like I said, I'm not, I don't want to get too deep into it. What I think rubbed me the most wrong way about that is that her statement that white just means the absence of color. White is actually the opposite of that statement. So, I mean, it's probably a good thing that she is going to college because that's kind of a basic thing about color theory, you know, and light and how all that crap works that white is not the absence of color. It's actually like the combination of all colors. So her statement doesn't even work. That's what really rubbed me. So do I want to continue this book? Part of me wants to continue it just because I really, really enjoyed Joe Canonis' artwork. The writing is not doing it for me. It's not what I was hoping for out of America Chavez book. And I was looking forward to America Chavez's first solo outing. But I don't know if this book is going to do it for me. It might be something where, okay, I've had, you know, the first issue, it is what it is. Maybe when it does, when a few more issues end up on Marvel Unlimited, I might check it out and see how it progresses. And then depending on how long the book actually lasts, maybe jump on to a following arc. But unfortunately, I have trouble recommending this book, obviously from my perspective. that I was reading up online that there were people that do enjoy it, and I'm happy for them. And I ultimately... You know, I don't want it to be that her book doesn't do well and thus America Chavez can never have a book. So hopefully it's just, you know, if it doesn't work for people and it doesn't doesn't last, which most of our books don't last, let's be honest, mm. um, that she'll get another shot somewhere down the road. But yeah, so anyway, America number one by Gabby Rivera and Joe Quinones is on sale now. All right. Well, that is a book that is out there. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. But Nick did not give it a, you know, uh, hi, Marks. So, uh, I'm going to talk about another book at this point, and that is Moon Knight number 12. So, I've been reading Moon Knight now for a couple of years. Um, starting with, like, the Warren Ellis. Comedy, yeah, I was going to say, right? starting starting with the Warren Ellis, and, I, and I've tried to get into the character before, and he's kind of a difficult character to access if you don't really have a history with him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um... Because he's crazy, but and his craziness has led to a lot of insane stuff over the years. Uh, like he's got multiple personalities. Now, is that actually from him, or is that from uh, the weird moon god whose name I can never pronounce? I think it's Conchu. Um, Conchu. I assume in the case silent. Maybe it is Conchu though. Cashew. It's the god Cashew. The god Cashew. God of the nut. <laughs> and anyway. In uh, in this Lemire arc that's been going for a while now, uh, there's been this whole idea of, I can't remember, I think they call it New Egypt or something, where basically uh, New York is flooded with sand and there's pyramids uh, and there's like crazy multiple moon nights. And then there's this whole arc where um, it was all these different... Uh, Mark Spector-esque characters. Like you had Stephen Grant, the movie star. You had Jake Lockley, who was Moon Knight. Uh, you had this new guy whose name I can't remember, but was kind of this like space warrior. And that all came... So this is just kind of laying some groundwork of where we are right now. That all came to a head where it's like those were different aspects of Mark's personality that he had to get under control in order to do what he needs to do to save himself, to save New York, and that is to kill Honshu, Cashew, blah, blah, blah. So that's that's where he was at in the last couple of issues. That's what he's come to. Uh, and now, 
as we've been going through this storyline, which is called uh, Death and Birth. So this is issue number three. For the past three issues, we've been getting sort of an origin story on um, on Mark Spector and on Moon Knight, starting from when he was a kid and he first met Stephen Grant, uh, who it turns out is, you know, a figment of his imagination. Uh, and kind of going through his life before he went to a mental institution and set, you know, to seek treatment, uh, when he busted out of there and then falsely, uh, enlisted in the Marines. And, you know, after he got out of that, he went to, uh, go be a mercenary. And meanwhile, in new Egypt, he's trying to get the soul of his friend back. And in order to do that, he has to get the soul back from Anubis. In order to do that, he had to go, uh, into the weird, crazy overvoid and get Anubis's wife back. At that point, too, he was also he also kind of had this realization of like I need these crazy people inside of me to help me. Be- it's I'm not sure how that's gonna flesh out at this point, but it's it'll probably come back later. It really felt like. Uh, anyway, just a lot of rambling. Unless to say that there is a lot of insanity in this book. There is a lot going on. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like I'm getting a much better view of this character now that I'm getting into his history a bit than I probably have ever had before uh, because it's getting told to me. And that's really helping me connect with this character. I've always liked the idea of Moon Knight, uh, but now I, I feel like I know him much more than I have. I tried to to pick it up in the past where they were like, well, let's make him... Marvel's Batman, but crazy. Uh, and, and you know, the Warren Ellis stuff was just good because it was just good. Uh, and then everything I've kind of read in between has had issues. And now I feel like I, I could go back and read that and kind of understand it a little bit better. Um, S- Smallwood is back on the art here. You've got Bel Air on colors. It's, you know, we're getting the band back together in a sense. It's real solid stuff. Uh, from beginning to end, it's just kind of odd seeing some of these characters who, when we saw them, because uh, when when we had like the issue about Stephen Grant and the issue about uh, Jake Lockley, they were all done by different artists, so they all had very distinct looks to them. And like the, um, the crazy Moon Knight space one, uh, had a very unique style. And now seeing that character done in Smallwood's art feels a little jarring not that it's a bad representation but just because it was so distinct the way that we saw it before um all in all just to kind of repeat myself a little here there's a lot going on in this book uh but i feel like if you've always been kind of unsure about moon knight or you want to know more about him i think this is a really good uh really good series to be reading i i think you would have to go back and start at number one of Lemire's run. Um, but it's, you know, it's well worth it to, to start there and stick it out through right now, issue 12. And then however long he's continuing on after that, assume it's still good after issue uh, 14, I guess is when this arc will end. Hmm. Uh, so I'm not going to recommend this book solo, but I'm going to recommend the entire Lemire run. I think it's necessary uh, you could try to jump on at the beginning of this arc, but I think you're really going to be missing some very interesting psychological stuff. 
and uh, it it's it's a good payoff. I feel that we're we're leading towards with the story that he's been telling. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how that all wraps up in the next couple of issues. Perhaps I will talk about it here. But right now, we're going to talk about a book we haven't talked about in a bit, and that is Superman. Issue number 18 came out, the beginning of Superman Reborn. Nick, what does that mean? Well, David, it means that... I honestly don't know what it means. Uh, the The history of... The pre-52 current Superman has been convoluted, to say the least. Um, but to kind of get dig into the issue itself, for those that maybe haven't been following, the pre-New 52 Superman has been living on the New 52 Earth, which might not actually be a separate universe of the DC Universe that was prior to the New 52 Universe. Um, and he's living on a farm in Hamilton County uh, outside of Metropolis or somewhere Probably in Kansas. Metropolis, uh, the, Metropolis adjacent. Metropolis adjacent. Uh, he, they are using the name Smith, um, and he's living with Lois and their son, Jonathan. Um, and it seems like more or less everything's been going well. They've been kind of doing the farm thing, thing since the they established that the pre-New 52 Superman and Lois with their new, newborn son came to the New 52 world five you know, around the time that the Justice League arrived on the scene. Um but I think a big part of this is that since the death of the new 52 Superman, they've been slowly finding, frankly, convoluted ways to sort of put the characters back in their traditional positions. I'll bet with a child. Um, I believe um, I haven't been following action comics, but I guess this Lois Lane has actually gone to work. And I don't know if it was established that they know that she's a different Lois Lane or if she's just assumed the identity, despite supposedly being probably like at least a decade older than the new 52 Lois Lane. Um, but a lot of weird stuff is going on, but for those who also have been following, there's been this guy running around saying that he's Clark Kent, that he's not Superman, that he's just Clark Kent, that he doesn't have powers and he does get injured. Uh, he did in the initial action comics, uh, arc anyway. Um, but I guess in more recent action comic stuff, it's revealed that, yeah, okay, something definitely weird is going on with this guy. And that kind of comes to a head in this issue where a not Clark shows up creepily outside their house. Um, and also ends up erasing, I mean, and I'm using the term that their house was erased along with their son. And, and Um, Clark, uh, Superman Clark's history, family history has been erased. Has been erased. Now, the other thing is with that photo album, it did show, maybe you have the issue in front of you faster than I can, but it showed like stuff from his universe. Yeah, and that's right. been erased. But from his yeah, his universe has been erased. Interesting. You yeah. know that the fact that this album was shouldn't exist. So either Clark, not Clark, stole it from their house and then it got erased, or he somehow had access to it from the the, the universe that pre New Fifty Two Superman came from. No, so this is all sort of capitalizing on the mysteries that were established by Rebirth. That the pre New 52 Superman is not all that he seemed, as well as the dead Superman. And I know on an upcoming cover that they show the New 52 Superman with pre New 52 Superman. And I think there's going to be some merging of the histories here. That's my speculation. And one thing, but, uh, one thing, T, you didn't mention is that this book opens. Uh, we have uh, that strange Oz character who has, you know, Tim Drake currently locked up. And. Uh, and it appears Doomsday and a couple other people are locked up. 
uh, and someone has escaped from his strange prison. So we're we're kind of digging into that whole storyline as well with this. Yeah, that is true. I did forget that part. So it's all it's all connecting. I think we're gonna get a pretty big 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 piece of the rebirth puzzle over the next few issues. This is actually, if you didn't realize it, Dave, this is crossing over with action comics. Yeah. I saw at the um, end there that it's like, pick so, up action comics, which fine. I'll pick up action comics. You got me on this one. You'll survive an issue or two, I suppose. Um, but you know, overall I felt Tomasi's writing was solid and Patrick Gleason was on point. I'm always enjoying a good uh, Gleason issue. Um, and it's just, it'll be interesting to see. Cause I feel like, you know, Rebirth has been a lot about putting certain toys back in the box and like getting going back to the meat and potatoes of it, which is interesting because as much as they did reestablish, you know, on the on the outside of Rebirth, you know, that we're okay, we're with the new fifty, the, sorry, the pre new fifty two Superman. It's also been that he's, you know, he has a family, like he's still married, he has a family, or that he has a son and all this, and he's living on a farm, which is obviously not your traditional Clark Kent Superman type tropes. But it seems like they are moving back in that direction with Lois already working back at the Daily Planet with their farmhouse being erased. It's clearly saying that this history is now kaput and we're going to transition them back into more of a traditional role in the DC universe. How that affects the greater universe, like is everyone going to forget that he did come from another universe or what that means? Like is his relationship, because right now he has that burgeoning relationship with this universe's Batman and Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. and is that all kind of going to be glossed over so that it's just, he is the Superman. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and I like that now we're almost a year into Rebirth, and now they've kind of let stuff establish, which I thought was very smart, and now they're getting ready to unpack the mystery of Rebirth again. You know, we know that Batman and The Flash are going to be doing their investigation uh, this is obviously tied into the stuff with the mysterious Oz character. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just nice to see that, hey, you know, that we didn't just establish some weird, crazy stuff and now we're moving on. It is very much um, that we, you know, we set stuff in motion and now it's time to kind of revisit those machinations and maybe see where, you know, where in the last year, uh, stuff has kind of been affected that you didn't necessarily realize. Yeah, no, it's a good point. But I mean, it's, I mean, I haven't been, I, I know you, I think you said you were a little bit behind too. I haven't been reading most of the, the um, more recent issues of the current Superman comic. Like I started with it and I was enjoying it, but then with the whole double shipping schedule, it was like, I, I mostly wanted, I wanted Patrick Gleason and Doug Monk. And, you know, then we already started getting fill-ins and then like Doug Mike has done some work on it and, you know, but I'm just, I don't know, something about the book just kind of made me fall off track, but I'm definitely on board for Superman Reborn and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, this is a smaller issue. It is, um, it is intimate and emotional. I think it really hits the emotional beats strong. Uh, And Nick, you know, whatever he's doing over there, making lots of noise. Uh, One thing too and I don't want to say, well, I yeah, I will say that I think this is a good jumping on point to the book. I know it's bleeding over into action comics, which is kind of frustrating. Uh, so maybe if you're looking for a time to jump into Superman, either this issue or wait until this story's over. It seems like they are, like this is kind of a prime time to, to hop onto the Superman train, if that's at all 
an interest to you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's about going to do it for reviews. And uh, the show, you know, we're pretty much out of time, so we're going to go ahead and ask ourselves a very important question, and that is... You boys aren't nerds, are you? Yes. Yes, we are nerds. And yes, yes, we're going to share our nerdy thoughts with you. Nick, do you have any recommendations to leave the people with? I... No, I don't. I was trying to think of something. I was trying to think of something I may have read, and uh, there's no, nothing that I feel super strongly about that I that what I would count as like a firm recommendation. So I think I'm going to pass this week, David, and let you do all the heavy lifting. That's very disappointing. I'm going to uh, recommend that everybody rewatch Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. Uh, no, I just had to find one more way to uh, to push that into there recommendation this week actually is that people should head on over to comiXology uh for the next My few rec- days they have a superman reborn sale going on and so you can pick up digital versions of books like the death books of like the death of superman and the reign of the superman uh and superman lois and clark that we kind of touched on a little bit here so if you never read that that time in comics history, it was very interesting when they killed Superman. Um, and yeah, this is a, this is a great way. It's fairly cheap to just go over there and, and read that. So Superman reborn sale slash death of Superman and all that crap. Cause plus the reign of the Superman is just such a weird time, such a weird time guys. I can't, I mean, and then we get Superman back in the black suit, which actually is kind of a stylish suit that I'm looking at right now. And then, like, red and blue Superman happened, and boy, oh boy. But not where well, I'm completely off track. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. You can find us over at heckyeahcomics.com and on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can also send us emails, heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram at davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. And you can find Nick... Uh, you can find Nick nicking around on Nick at Night. Or... Doing such a good job right now, Dave. Such a good job. Oh, yeah. Hey, great recommendation at the end of the show there, Nick. Thanks for participating. (laughs) Well, you can catch us here next week. Same heck yeah time. Same heck yeah channel. Until then, good bye. Worst episode ever.